0: We're going to continue in our sermon series in the book of Mark, and we will get there in just a moment. We've put the scripture up on the screen, so in between passing baskets, you may want to thumb through uh, your scripture to to get there with us. Uh, But while you're doing that, allow me to to share something with you that I observed culturally in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I don't preach the headlines. I don't speak about those things uh, without thinking through prayerfully how it affects us. Uh, But I will tell you uh, that a couple of weeks ago, I noticed, as did many Southern Baptists, we are part of the Southern Baptist denomination, uh, I noticed, along with many other pastors, that the Houston Chronicle released several articles about sexual abuse that had taken place in Southern Baptist churches over the past several decades. Now, listen, the reason I'm mentioning this is not to get real heavy or to scare anybody. Uh, I know there's children in the room, so I'm always tactful of what I say and how I say it. But I want you to know one of the reasons those types of things happen is because we don't talk about what is healthy, what is appropriate, and what is inappropriate. So I want you to know when I read that there were nearly 700 cases documented of abuse by nearly 300-plus professionals in ministry, it made me sick. It made me sick. It made me sad. The Bible talks about righteous indignation, wanting justice. Uh, It grieved me. So I want you to know as a church, don't ever become so numb or so callous. Uh, Even if you don't know a person's story, if they say they've been abused, our first response should be, that is evil and that is awful. We should also pray for people. So, we need to be praying. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that that no staff member, no pastor at any of our regional campuses was was involved in any of that or documented any of that. Uh, I'm so grateful for that. But as a church family, we need to be prayerful about that. We also need to be alert, we need to be vigilant. One of the things I was mindful of is making sure that we as a church, even if you don't have children and preschoolers in our Grove ministry, that we as a church, everybody cares about the safety of the next generation. Uh, I want you to know that we take measures to make sure that the children that are on our campus on Sunday mornings or at any event are are well supervised. We have policies and procedures in place, such as having two adults in any classroom. Uh, No child goes to the restroom by themselves with an adult. I mean, there are so many things that are in place. We have uniformed officers that walk through the building, make those rounds. We want them to be seen. Uh, Every staff member goes through a criminal and sex offender registry background check. We ask volunteers to do that. And if you have ever felt in any way, why are they making me jump through this hoop? Why are they asking me to do that? Listen, it is not to make things difficult on you. It is because we want to be very intentional and very vigilant about protecting the next generation. So thank you so much. Even if you show up on a Sunday morning as a parent and you have to wait in line at the check-in kiosk, we've got three of them now. Hopefully that's not a problem. We need to know who's in the building, how long they're in the building, when they're picked up, where they are. We take that very seriously. Uh, Next Sunday, we already had this planned, but if you're a parent or you bring your niece or nephew here to the church, uh, we have a parent uh, leader meeting or a parent equipping meeting, and it involves safety and policy information. We had already planned to share uh, months in advance what we do on a Sunday morning to take care of the next generation. Hope you will join us next Sunday for that. Uh, But not talking about this is not going to help. One of the things we need to do is be open, be honest, be honest. Talk about how we're grieved and talk about what we need to do as a church moving forward to ensure that we do things that are godly and protective of all people, including the next generation. So one of the things I've been doing is praying for these families, these individuals that are involved in this, but I'll also extend to you. Um, If you would like to talk to somebody on staff, if abuse or anything has ever been part of your past and you have made to feel shame or guilt or that it was your fault, that couldn't be further from the truth. We want you to let us know how we can pray for you and how we can help you. Don't hesitate to reach out to me or the staff. We will do everything we can to honor and protect and walk with you through that. I thought it would be a great thing for us to do to pray together. Like before asking us to pray and then we scatter in a minute, can can we just pray real quickly before we dig into the word for all of this and that God's glory, his will would be done and that people would find hope and healing. Lord Jesus, thank you for um, the opportunity to do life together. And we need to acknowledge that there are wonderful, exciting things we talk about and sometimes there are things that grieve us and this is one of them. Bless and minister to the families and individuals that have been involved in this. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring about healing and hope. We also pray, Lord Jesus, that this congregation would value, all of us would value all of these things that need to be in place to care for the next generation. Uh, Lord, and we desire to see you made known in our community. So we pray, Lord, as that happens, that you would heal, bind up wounds, and restore people to healthy relationships. That's our desire. And we say and pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to do that. One of the things that we do when we read scripture together is we will often stand in honor of God's word. Uh, The reason we do that is to acknowledge that he is here in this place, but it's also a way for us to acknowledge that God's word is authoritative. That means it is the thing upon which we build our lives, It's trustworthy, it's living, it's active, it matters in 2019. And so that is why we do this rhythm on Sunday morning. So let me invite you, I'm already standing on the platform, let me extend that invitation. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read an incredibly fascinating and true story about someone finding hope and healing in the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to read from Mark chapter 7 verses 31 through 37 together says again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private, and after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he, Jesus, sighed deeply and said to him, the man, Ephathra, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute see. As Jesus was walking through the area of the Decapolis, They came and brought to him a deaf man who could not speak and could not hear. Jesus, taking him away privately, healed the man, and the crowds were astonished that Jesus does all things well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for this true healing and this true story of hope. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your word and what you reveal to us in this text would quicken our hearts and minds, so that we would be quick to give praise to you and would leave this place talking about Jesus and pointing other people to him. We pray that in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you haven't been to the area of Galilee where Jesus was when this happened, you may not be able to fully appreciate some of the geographical context of what was taking place and where he was. Jesus had been preaching and proclaiming the good news of his father around the Sea of Galilee, and where he would go, he would heal and restore those who were sick, those who were struggling with infirmity. Jesus is in an area doing that called the Decapolis, The reason it's called the Decapolis, Deca means 10. There was an area of 10 villages, towns, communities, which collectively were called the Decapolis. Now, the reason this is important is, yes, this was an area of Jewish influence, but it was also an area where there were many Gentiles. Anyone who was not Jewish is Gentile. So there were people who were Greek. There were people who were Roman. And they all lived in the Decapolis. Now, we know that Jewish people, while they may not, many of them may not have acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, they did believe in the dignity of individuals. They believed in the dignity of individuals because all people are created in the image of God. However, many Jewish people, as much as it grieves us, mistreated people who were deaf and who could not speak. There was even Hebrew law that you could not own property if you were deaf, They were misunderstood and mistreated by the Jewish people, but the Gentiles were even worse. It has been said about Plato and Aristotle that they both felt that people who were deaf, they can't hear and they can't communicate. So how could they understand ideas? How could they be creative? And even to the extent of going on record to say that deaf people are barbarians who are beyond hope. In the Middle Ages, people who were deaf were not allowed often to attend worship services because if you can't hear, you can't respond. What's the point of you being here? Think about the message that conveys to someone who is deaf, someone who cannot speak. I know that in a room this size, there are some of us who have family or friends or even children or loved ones or co-workers that we know that are deaf. Maybe they cannot hear audibly as some others of us can, or they can't speak and communicate. Think about how awful it was to communicate to someone, you are of no value to us because you're not like us. They were often cast outside of the city, isolated, cut off from relationship, no friendships, no way to communicate, left to fend for themselves, and oftentimes a deaf person would steal just to survive. And that is the situation. That is the circumstance for this man in this text who is deaf. He's most likely outside of the exact area where Jesus was teaching and healing, and the Bible says that they went to get Jesus. We don't know who they is in verse 32. Some people assume that maybe people had heard about Jesus healing and it was fantastic when someone got healed they knew there was a deaf man he was way in bad shape and let's go get him to watch a healing that's what some people think many scholars believe this crowd didn't know how to help this man but they knew he was isolated they knew he had been mistreated and they wanted to go get this man because if there's anyone who can heal and restore him it's Jesus Jesus had demonstrated his authority over sickness and illness and circumstance. So they went and they grabbed this man and they bring him before Jesus. Now when you read the text and you immerse yourself in the story, this had to be incredibly confusing for this man. He normally doesn't see humans on a daily basis. And now many of them grab him, pull him, and place him in front of Jesus. I don't know how many of you have met Jesus in a similar manner. Someone introduced you to Jesus and you were overwhelmed, you were confused before you truly came to know who Jesus is. Oftentimes someone will, in the local church, invite a friend or a neighbor, a family member to come to church to hear the gospel. And it can be daunting. It can be confusing. That's why every Sunday, it's not a throwaway line, we thank people who are visiting for the first time. It can be overwhelming if you don't understand the things of God. You know, my grandfather, before he went home to be with the Lord, was what some people would call a soul winner. He was what some people called a soul winner. And what we mean by that is that he knew that all people were created in the image of God, but all people have a need for God through faith in Jesus Christ. And what my grandfather wanted to see is people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So he would share his faith all the time. He would introduce them to his pastor. I want you to hear the gospel from my pastor. He would invite people to church. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but my grandmother is very similar to him. Their evangelistic fervor and excitement to introduce people to Jesus is something that has been a hallmark of their marriage. And it's not unusual when my grandmother could get to church physically. It would not be unusual for her to bring someone to me after a Sunday where I had preached to introduce me to someone who did not know Jesus. She would invite people because she would share, but she thought maybe it was unusual for her to invite a young man to church. Maybe this young man will connect with a male pastor, so I'm going to bring him. And oftentimes after I would preach, several years ago, one of these situations happened. I was standing in line talking to people after the sermon, and I could see my grandmother about three people deep. I could see my grandmother standing with a young man next to her, and turns out this young man was a cook at her retirement community. He was a cook at her retirement community, and she cared enough about his salvation to risk offending him by inviting him to church. And you know, believe it or not, we think people won't show up if we invite them. Most people will try anything once, and the statistics say if you invite someone to church, they're they're most likely, about 80% chance, that they show up. So as they stood there, this was a usual occurrence in the past, I would see her and she would try to communicate with me about their need for Jesus while they're waiting in line which I loved about her but her burden for lost people would become evident when one of these times she whispered or she mouthed to me he needs Jesus him which I assume that's why they were there waiting to talk to me and and she pointed out like he's he's not like me you may have to communicate a different way he's got an earring he's got an earring <laughs> I could see he has an earring he, doesn't, he's, he wasn't dressed in a suit and tie. You know. She was just trying to communicate. He, he's not familiar with church. And if anybody's ever invited you to church, and you're like, why are they inviting me? Let's go ahead and cut them some slack. It may feel rough. It may feel weird. It may feel uncomfortable. But I want you to know, somebody who's burdened enough about your salvation that they would risk it being awkward or odd is, is hoping that their church staff will be tactful, caring, hospitable which is something we focus on because it is scary and confusing to step out and to engage the person of Jesus Christ and explore his claims because if they're true they're all true and if they're not none of it's true and people have the opportunity to place their faith in Jesus and they had thrown this man in front of Jesus was most likely overwhelming daunting maybe even confusing and so that's why I love what Jesus did in verse 33 I absolutely love Jesus for so many reasons, but in verse 33, it says, he took the man away from the crowd in private. He took this man and said, come with me. And he pulled him away in private. Now, I I want you to know that we have a deaf pastor that is part of Brentwood Baptist Church. We have a deaf congregation at the Brentwood campus. And one of the things our deaf pastor has communicated to me is that deaf women and men, they hate it when hearing people stare at them as if they are the public example of someone who's deaf. So Jesus pulls him away to communicate, I respect you. And if there are gawkers and onlookers that want to make an object lesson out of you, come over here with me. But it also communicates several other things. In verse 33, Jesus took him away privately. Jesus looks at him eye to eye, obviously, which communicates dignity and worth in any language. It's one of the reasons we lock eyes with people. A homeless man or woman, look at them. Even if you don't have anything to give them, even if you don't feel led of the Lord to give them, look at them to communicate your life has dignity, even if it's been taken from you or you've lost it. Jesus does that with this man, and he touches. The Bible says in verse 34, after putting his fingers, he touched the man's ears as if to communicate to the man, I know this doesn't work like you wish it would. And then Jesus touched his tongue, communicating, I know this doesn't work like you wish it would. the Bible says he spit, and he made out of the saliva, he, he touched the man's ears, and he put his fingers in his ears and on his tongue. And in those days, saliva was considered to have medicinal purposes, So Jesus is trying to communicate to this man, what I'm doing is intended to be helpful to you. Because again, this man overwhelmed the circumstances and what is Jesus doing? The Bible says in verse 34, looking up to heaven. And there are no throwaway lines in scripture. Mark wouldn't do that. My dear friend Eric, our deaf pastor, said when he looked up 100%, so did the man. Because in the deaf community, when you act out something, when you communicate something, when he looked up, the deaf man would have said, where's he looking? And he would have looked up. This was Jesus' way of communicating to him. You can't hear what I'm saying, perhaps, but I want you to know what I'm doing. I'm from God the Father. And what I'm doing is of the Father. I'm exactly who people say I am, which the man most likely had not heard about. So he is communicating to him, I'm of God. The man would have looked up to heaven, and Jesus sighed deeply. (sighs) In deaf culture, a sigh is incredibly important. A sigh is incredibly important. And Jesus looks up in our spoken language, a sigh (sighs) might communicate dismay, or it didn't work out like what I thought it would, whatever it is we're talking about. In this culture, a sigh means something has been done. It is finished. What I just said, I've completed fully and totally. The Bible says Jesus looked up and he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. Now, most of us might think his ears and his mouth began to function properly, that that's what they're talking about. And that's true. That is so true. The Bible says immediately, and Mark is like an eyewitness news, like get right to the punch kind of guy. Immediately, oh my gosh, Jesus said be open, and the guy could hear, and he could talk. It was like instantaneous. That's why Mark says it happened immediately. Yes, those things happened, but the word that he's talking about here, be opened, implies that not only could he hear, not only could he talk, but then the next person who talked to him, he could cognitively understand what that person was saying. Not just hear sound, but he could cognitively process and summon the verbiage, have good command of the language, to respond, to articulate his emotions. Mark Salter, who is a deaf missionary from Brentwood Baptist Church, said, you know, one of the things that deaf people around the world are fascinated about when they hear this story is not only could the man hear and speak, but he could carry on a conversation Be opened, be healed, means he could cognitively, socially, relationally begin to function where it wasn't just ears being open and mouth being open. This man was made well holistically. So you know what this means. It doesn't just mean be open so you can carry on a conversation. It means be open to building relationships with other humans. We're opening up social skills here. Be open doesn't just mean you can hear and respond back to people. It means be open to the chance to be educated, young man. How important is that? How important is that to be educated and to have the opportunity for that? One of the things I'm so proud about the the congregation that God has assembled here is how we're involved in education at Carter Lawrence Elementary. And many of you as teachers and faculty at schools scattered throughout Middle Tennessee, you're involved in education to open up the opportunities of human flourishing so people can be educated. Jesus is opening up that opportunity for this man. It means have your whole life impacted by hope. It's a whole life transformation. And the mission statement of our church is to take the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, matters in the next life, matters right now, to the whole person. We not only want you to respond to the gospel spiritually. My grandmother had a passion for that. I have a passion for that. If you're a Christian, even if you're an introvert and you don't like talking or dragging people to meet the pastor, you should have a desire to see people come to faith spiritually. But it also means we want people to be made well, mentally, emotionally, physically. We want them to be made whole. And we know it's a beautiful world, but it is a broken and sinful world, and we will not experience the wholeness of what it means to be perfect until the next life. But we can slowly open up redemptive windows in this life to other people and experience them in our own where we move towards healing and wholeness in this life. That's what Jesus is offering this man. This is the epitome of our mission statement as a church. And that's why the people said, Jesus does all things well. Like He's the guy who can do it all. He not only can heal, but then he's just put this guy in relationship. He's just given him hope for the future. He's just given him an opportunity to function in society. Jesus does all things well. In 2016, I had a chance to go to Israel. And I wanted to see certain spots. I wanted to see Capernaum. I wanted to see the Western Wall in Jerusalem. I wanted to see the Decapolis. I wanted to see this area. Guess who else was on my trip in 2016? Pastor Eric Randolph of our deaf congregation in Brentwood. And he is your deaf pastor as well. We have a deaf congregation. We are part of the same church family. If you're a member of our church, this is your deaf pastor. And he went with us. That's us on the Mount of Olives looking out over Jerusalem. And not too long after this picture was taken, we went to the area near the Decapolis. We went to the area near the Decapolis. And one of the things Eric did for everybody on the team is that in American Sign Language, he signed Mark 7, 31 through 37. This is our deaf pastor signing about a true story from 2,000 years ago of Jesus healing a man totally and completely, and I wept. I wept as I saw a deaf man talking about the hope we have in Jesus. 750 million deaf women, men, and children around the globe. 750 million. They are underserved and underreached. Praise God in his goodness and his sovereignty. He led our church more than three and a half decades ago to start a deaf ministry to people who had not heard the gospel. And this is our deaf pastor. And so one of the things I thought was, wouldn't it be awesome if we could invite Eric and we could have him with us on this Sunday and have him sign it for us? And like he was already booked. So like I was so frustrated Turns out he's at the Brentwood campus where the deaf congregation is, and um, he's actually signing in some of those services, this text. But several of us on the campus pastor preaching team, we, we, we asked, is there any way you can sign so that our people can hear this from you? Because you can communicate in a way that I can never fully appreciate. And he said he'd be glad to. So I want you to see how what Jesus did here changed someone's life. And I want you to hear it from our deaf pastor at our Brentwood campus.